Bible, I invite you to take it up and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. I don't know how you came into, uh, into church this morning. I'm, I'm glad you're here, but I wonder, um, you know, we have a tendency to come in with a whole variety of different emotions, and I, I wonder if you've ever found yourself uh, to be discouraged. If, I've ever, if you've ever found yourself to be sort of on the verge of kind of just kind of giving up, and, and you kind of, you almost kind of rebuke yourself, you kind of go, yeah, but look at all these wonderful things that I have around me, look at, look at my family, look at all these, look at, look, at, look at this beautiful place where we live, look at all these wonderful things, and yet you still find yourself battling with, wrestling with discouragement, feeling as if maybe you might just want to throw in the towel. You just may want to give up, because somehow maybe the relationship just seems too hard. Because maybe the situation at work isn't going like you hoped it would or where you, how you thought it might, and you just feel like giving up. Or maybe your finances continue to be the struggle that you feel like they shouldn't be at this point in your life, and you say, I just feel like giving up. Or maybe you've hit a, a rough patch in your relationship or in your marriage, and you, so you say, we should, shouldn't we be in a different place than where we really are? And you find yourself on the edge of discouragement, or you're walking through the grief of losing a loved one. There are so many things and reasons in our lives for us to find ourselves in discouragement and in sadness, and sometimes on the verge of just wanting to wave the white flag, to throw in the towel and saying, I, I, don't, I don't know. If you find yourself in that place this morning, then take encouragement in knowing that the, whole, the book of Hebrews was written to people like you. People who find themselves, they were discouraged because they had, they had come into relationship with Jesus Christ. They were following after Jesus, and yet they found themselves under persecution. And yet they found the circumstances that surrounded their life to be difficult, and they were, they were discouraged in faith. They were discouraged in life. They were persecuted and frustrated and in danger of quitting. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to these people in order to encourage them. And in doing so, one of the analogies that he uses is he uses the analogy of, of a race, that life is a race. And in the word, the word for race in Greek is agon, which is where we get our word, English word, agony. He says, essentially, life is an agonizing race. The word agon can also mean a wrestling match. <laughs> Life is a marathon that ends in a wrestling match. That's how he, that's the analogy that the writer of Hebrews uses. Life's not merely a marathon, but it's a marathon and ends in a UFC fight. Can you relate to that this morning? Is there anybody here who says, ah, 
yeah, man, I, I can understand. But what are we to do? What are, if you are in that position this morning or when you get into a position where life just feels to be like an agonizing struggle, what are we to do? What encouragement can we find? How can we take another step? How can we, if you like, keep running the race of life? I think we'll be helped by Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If you are visiting with us or if you haven't been around the last week or so, we started a new series called Mixtape where we asked you to send in your favorite verses and we've taken those verses over the course of the next couple of months and we're going to talk, not all of those verses because you send in way, a lot of them, uh, but we're taking a few of those verses in order that at the end of, the, of, of August, we might be able to look back on a collection of our own mixtape of some of our favorite Bible verses from our, from our church family. In Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses, I think, will help be an encouragement to us this morning. So let me read those verses for us. Verse 12, or chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. A brief prayer. Father, we now come to you, the God of the word. And we ask that this may not be merely the voice of a mere man, but we might this morning actually hear the very voice of God. We come with eager expectation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So how are we to continue on in the, the, the running of the race of life, the agonizing struggle, if you will, the wrestling match that is sometimes the, the reality of our circumstances of our lives? How are we to do this? The first I want to suggest to you is this, that we remember that you remember who you are, that you remember who you are. He says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, of course, we pick up on this, this argument that, or this writing that the author is already making, and, and so he begins with therefore. Anytime you see therefore in the scriptures, then you have to say, what is this therefore, therefore, right? Which means there's something that comes before it. We need to go back and look. So I want to take you to chapter 10. We're going to take, in, and I know that's two chapters back, and you go, oh no, we've set ourselves up for some trouble now. Well, I don't, uh, hopefully this will be helpful to us in setting the context of reminding ourselves exactly who we are. In chapter 10, what you have from the first half of chapter 10 is, is the writer is, uh, is trying to make the point and is making the point that the sacrifice of Jesus, his death for, on the cross, is the sacrifice, the once and all for all sacrifice for all of the sin, for all of humanity, for all of time. And that, that's what he's saying at the beginning of chapter 10. There, that the priest used to go in and have to make a sacrifice for sins of the people over and over and over again, year after year. But Jesus Christ came and he died and his sacrifice covers all of sin. So the priests no longer have to go and make these sacrifices that they once had to make for, for the sins of the people because Jesus had made the perfect sacrifice to appease the very wrath of God and fulfill the very will of God. And then he goes on after that to talk uh, to, for a call to perseverance in the faith and said this, because Jesus has done that. Therefore, verse 19, brothers and sisters, 
since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Okay, so what he's saying is, brothers and sisters, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of his perfect sacrifice for us, because of his body, there was a curtain that, sacrif- that separated where the, in the temple where the people could be from the very holy presence of the holiest of holies, the very presence of God. But Jesus, because his body was torn, if you like, on the cross, it was broken on the cross, that, that, that curtain has been torn open. So now the people had access to the very presence of Almighty God. This is what has been done for you. So therefore what? What does he say? Since you have a great high priest now who is interceding for us in the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and full assurance of that faith brings. Then what are we to do? Draw near to God. The presence of God is now open to you. So now for walk close to God. Go be in his presence with full assurance that you are in the very presence of faith. And the faith brings this assurance to us. This is what he says. This is where... This is what Christ has done for you. This is what the sacrifice has done for you. And he continues on. We won't go through all these verses, but down to verse 35. Look at what he says in verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Because of what Christ has done, you can go boldly into the presence of God. So do not throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence. Verse 36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Don't throw away your confidence. You must continue to persevere in faith. And then he goes on to say in verse 39, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who who have faith and are saved. He says, remember who you are. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember the sacrifice that Christ did, that his sacrifice covered all of sin. So what? So that you can go boldly into the presence of God. So therefore, do not lose your confidence because you are a child of God. And therefore, you do not shrink back because that's not what we do. That's not what we do. We are those who go forward, he says, in faith and are saved. We are people of faith. Faith in what Christ has done for us. And so therefore we have perseverance and therefore we have confidence and therefore we have assurance and we are to remember who you are as a child of God, as a person of faith. And then he continues in chapter 11, verse one. Now faith, you say, well, what is faith? Faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is what we hope for and confidence in what we do not see. That's faith, and we are people of faith. You see, our confidence and our assurance in this life and in the next does not primarily rest on what we can see, what we can touch, what we can taste, and what we can feel. Our confidence in this life, our security in this life, is not based on material things, the material things that surround us. That's not where the confidence of the people of faith lies, but it lies in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and in his promises. We are people of faith. And then he goes on, the rest of chapter 11, is to outline, if you like, the hall of faith. It's, a, it's all these, so many people throughout the course of, of, of biblical history 
that have had great faith and had faith on display. And he says, and so he begins to talk about it. He says, well, well, let me start at the beginning. Let's look at verse three. He says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed by, at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. We believe that God created all things. By faith, we believe that God was the one who authored all things and made all of creation. That's where he begins. He says, by faith, and then he goes on to say, by faith, Abel, in verse five, by faith, Enoch, in verse seven, by faith, Noah, and I don't wanna pause here, but on verse eight, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. When even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, and as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. If his faith was on this material world, he would not have gone. But his faith was on in something else. His faith was actually in God. And he was, his faith was in the city where, uh, of God, where God alone was the architect and builder. He was looking forward, he says. And that's why he had great faith. Not because of what he saw around him. Not because of his own circumstances. But because of the promises of God. He's a man of faith. And go on down into first, verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country, for a country that they are not looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These people died in faith, though they didn't see all of the promises in this life. People who say such things, they're not looking to the country of their own. They're looking to a greater heavenly country whose author and builder is God Almighty himself. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. These people had a hope and assurance that was not based on the things that are around them. And they, had, they were looking forward to who God is. They could have. They could have looked back. They could have shrunk back but that's not who they are. And therefore, they're commended in the scriptures as people of faith. They, didn't, they could have shrunk back. They could have gone back. They could have returned back to the country. Instead, their eyes were focused on God. They were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. And verse 38 says, and the world was not worthy of them. The world wasn't worthy of these folks. The world wasn't worthy of these people. And these people, are in our Bible as witnesses to you and witnesses to me. They are witnessing to us that the God that they serve, the God that they followed, the God that they gave their lives to is faithful. So keep trusting. So keep running. 
Here's something interesting. In, ver- in chapter 11, verse 13 says, they did not receive the things promised. In chapter 11, verses 39 and 40 says, none of them received what has been promised. They trusted the promises of God. They followed God, but God had something better for us and f- for us and with us, if you like. God had something else in mind that had that their, the fullness of their belief included us. And the fullness of the belief of those who will follow, will follow us will also include us. You see, these people, what was better for them, they were looking forward to the promised Messiah who was to come. They were looking forward to Jesus. We are those on the other side of the cross are looking back at the promises of Jesus and are looking forward to his return. Because why? Because our journey of faith, our story of faith isn't just merely about us in the here and now. We are examples to the watching world of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. But we are an example to a generations that are to follow. Because they will look back at us as those who didn't shrink back. They will look back at us as those who continue to hold out the light of Jesus Christ into a dark and a dying world. But we were those who didn't shrink back. We were those who continued on because we were looking to a greater city when Jesus will return where he will make all things new. Who is the the architect and builder as almighty God himself. And we, it's not your journey. Your running of the race isn't just about you. It's about generations that will come. We are a part of a bigger thing. Our church is about a bigger kingdom than just ourselves and our own personal journey. And so keep running. Our lives serve both purposes to this generation and the purposes of God for generations that are to come. And so we keep running. We keep running because we remember who we are in Christ and we remember where we are in his redemptive story. And so we run. We remember who we are. If you want to have endurance in the race of life, if you want to continue on, if you want to overcome discouragement and despair, then you need to remember who you are. Second is this. Then you need to remove all hindrances. Remove all hindrances. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Back in, uh, back in chapter 12. Right? So if we want to run the race, as if, you, if you like the analogy, he says, we, we need to throw off everything that hinders our ability to run. Have you ever noticed, uh, the, you ever, I don't know how many of you are runners, but do you notice the, the clothes that, that runners wear? They're not very bulky. They're not very big. They're actually quite small and quite tight. Why is that? Well, because people have studied this, and it's in order that they, because the more bulky the, the things you have on, the more friction it has, and the, it hinders your ability to run. You won't run as well. So they, there's people who study these things. They, they make big money doing these things. So the shoes can be lighter. Interestingly enough, have you seen the very, this is a complete tangent, so just, just bear with me. Uh, have you ever seen the very first Nike shoe? Or the, the guy who made Nikes actually made, I just found this out, the first bottoms of first Nike shoes he made in his wife's waffle iron. It's so, so true. Go Google it, because everything on Google is true. It's pretty cool. Anyway, that aside, we need to throw off things that hinder us. First are the things that hinder. We need to, there are some things in our lives that are good things, that are fine things, that are great things, they're happy things, but they're not helpful things for us in our journey and in our race. There are things in our lives 
that there's nothing wrong with them in and of, them, in and of themselves. But what they do for you in your personal journey is they slow you down. They're like baggy sweatpants when you're trying to go out for a run and trying to run as fast as you can, and you just need to shed those things. Hopefully you have something on underneath them. You may be in a relationship right now that, quite frankly, is just pulling you away from Christ, that is slowing you down. There's nothing wrong with the person. It's not that they're a bad person, but you know what? It's not what's God's best for you, and you know it, and you know that they're slowing you down, but you haven't been able to make the break in the relationship. You continue to, to dabble with them. You've continued to allow them to text you at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night asking you what you're doing. And you say, no, I, and it's slowing you down. It could be your family. Friends, the amount of times that I've seen, I, I, you know, I go to the, we're in baseball season, so I go to the, and I see these parents, you know, of kids, and especially kids who have multiple kids, and I see them. They come to these, they come to these baseball games, and they just plop down in their camping chairs, and it's as if they're going to fall asleep right on the side of the field because they've got three kids, and they're running all, all over the thing. And, and, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with baseball. There's nothing wrong with sport, but it, it, it wearies the soul. If we put our family thinking that the very things that we're trying to do for our kids, which is healthy for them to be in these things, but it keeps us, it can, it can be a hindrance for us running the race well if we're not careful, if we're not attentive to these things. What about social media? What about Facebook? Is that always helpful for your spiritual well-being? If you find yourself looking at Facebook and being angry at your friends, and maybe it's a hindrance that you just need to throw off for a while or forever. Nothing wrong with Facebook. It's not inherently evil. Just sometimes. Or TV. Or our work. Have you allowed your profession to be a hindrance to your your own spiritual well-being? Have you allowed it to take a, a wrong place in your life? Or video games? Or watching YouTube videos? There's things that are good things. What good things in your life have you allowed to be a hindrance to your ability to run the race well? I promise if you ask God to reveal those things to you, he will. That he will let you know. Good things, fine things, happy things, but things that need to go away or at least maybe go away for a season in order that you may be able to run your race well. We need to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, he says. That we have patterns in our life that, that often come, they're just a part of the, our, our natural selves, right? The old self that continue, we continue to wrestle with because life is an agonizing struggle and some of it has to do with just, it's internal, it's us, it's who we are, it's our flesh, it's our fleshly desires and we wrestle with these things. We wrestle with the sin that so easily trips us up. But sin in the Bible isn't just the, the breaking God's law. It is breaking God's law, but it's not merely breaking God's law. More than that, it's sin in the Bible is living in the world that God has created without any reference for God himself, without any reverence for God himself, without any, any recognition of God. Sin is when we live in the very world that he created and breathe the very air that he gave us and live the very life that he gave us without any reference to God himself. How many times do we find ourselves in a day living as if we are the ones who are dependent upon everything? If it's to be, it's up to me. 
How many times do we find ourselves? And it's so easy. In what area of your life are you most prone to live in your own strength and in your own power? In what area of your life are you most confident and tend to rely on your own wisdom and your own skill rather than recognize God in all of it? Because the more you continue to do that, the more you will find yourself entangled, the more you will find yourself weary, the more you will find yourself discouraged. Because we're living in the very world that God has created without reference to him. And it's sin. It's so easy to do. Because it's pride. Because it's arrogance. Because it's ego. Because we don't want to admit that we're weak, that we're soft, that we are dependent. We don't want to because we're Americans and after all, we can do it. Our- no. No, you can't. Because you weren't made that way. You were made to be dependent upon God. And so when we find ourselves entangled by sin, then what we need to do is repent. We need to stop and we need to repent and we need to name our pride. We need to name our arrogance. We need to name our ego and we need to discard it and again remind ourselves of our dependence upon God. Friends, I have to do this every single, well, I should do it every single day. I don't probably, I know I don't. But every single Sunday, it's like, I work really hard to prepare a sermon. I do all this work as if somehow it depends upon, it doesn't depend upon me. I can't make you see God. I can't make you follow after God. All I can do is point you to the very word of God and plead that God by his spirit would somehow make it alive in your lives. I can't do it. And that's humbling for me because I want to do it. Because I want to make you better Christian people because that's my job. But I can't even do my job. But but be dependent upon God. We, and you can't do yours either without being dependent upon God. So don't, you know, don't judge me. <laughs> if we want to run the race that God has called us, then we need to remember who we are in Christ. And we need to remove all hindrances. And thirdly, we need to run, you need to run your race. You need to run your race. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We are all running. Every single one of us are running We all are running our own agonizing wrestling match. We are running all at the same time, but we're not running against one another. You know that, right? We're not running against one another. We're not competing against one another. But I wonder if you have a tendency to be like me, (laughs) and you're running your race, and you have a tendency to look over at the lane next to you. The people who are running next to you, you know, and you see their lawn, and their lawn doesn't have dandelions, and it's greener and thicker and more plush, and you go, why is my stinking lawn not looking like that? Because you start looking at their race, and you start looking at things, and you start looking at the race of other people, and you start asking questions. You start going, hey, wait a minute. God, I'm looking at my race, I'm looking in my lane, and I see all of these hurdles that are ahead of me. I don't like hurdles because that means I have to jump and that makes it hard for me and it kind of looks like it's going uphill, God. This is, I don't like this and I look at his lane and he seems to have a downhill jog. God, this isn't fair because I always start to want to run his race and I want to run in his lane or hers. This isn't fair. Have you ever found yourself looking at someone else's lane wishing that you were running their race? Have you ever found yourself seeing somebody's vacation on Facebook and wishing that you were living their 
vacation? Have you ever found yourself looking at their children and looking at their house and their stuff and wishing that that was your life and you were living their life because it isn't fair. I don't want to run this race. This passage says, hey, run with perseverance the race marked out for you. God has called you to your race. He didn't call you to run that race. He called you to run in your lane. So, so, don't, be, so don't be looking at their, their, their lane. Don't be looking at their race. Don't be looking at their hurdles. Be looking at what God has. Run your race with blinders on, if you like, so that you can focus on the race that God has called you to run. Don't be judging other people for the race that they're running because you have enough to take care of in the race that is before you. Don't you remember what the people of faith were commended for? They did not, if they had been thinking about the country that they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one, and therefore God was not ashamed to be called their God. They didn't shrink back. They didn't turn around. They didn't, hey, quit if you quit thinking about all that other stuff and focus on the lane that is ahead of you because God has called you to this race and this is the race you are to run. So be dependent upon him. So keep on running the race. So jump the hurdles because he's not giving you the ability or the grace to run that race. He's given you the grace that you need when you need it to run the race that is before you because that's what he's called you to do. If you want to endure, if you want to continue on, if you don't want to grow weary and lose heart, then run the race that is before you because that is the race that God has called for you to run. Remember who you are. Remove all hindrances and run your race. And finally, this, renew your focus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He's the pioneer or the author. He's the one from all of eternity past. Jesus was the pioneer or the originator of faith. He was the one from whom all faith began. He, he originated, he pioneered faith, and he is the perfecter. Jesus, the pioneer of faith, was also the perfecter of faith. Jesus came and took on the form of human flesh. And he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he says, it is finished. It is finished. The very perfect race that needed to be run, the very perfect sacrifice that needed to be sacrificed was all finished and accomplished by the one who originated faith and the one who perfected faith. Jesus did it for us. He didn't do it merely as our example, but he did it as our substitute. He ran the race perfectly in our place. He is the author and perfecter. Perfect faith was completed and perfected by Jesus And when he raised from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and now intercedes on our behalf and says to the Father, they... When they stumble, when we trip over hurdles, when we, don't, when we look at other, other people's races that we don't want to run and we find ourselves complaining to God, he says, I've perfectly ran the race for them. And he helps us and assists us. He's the, we need to focus on Christ and what he has done for us. But why did Jesus run? Why did he run the race? 
for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? What was the joy that caused Jesus to come in and run the perfect race? Because think about it. In all, from all of eternity past, there was God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit in perfect relationship and perfect harmony and perfect unity with one another. What, what, what would be the joy that would cause him to come and to live a perfect life of faith and to die on the cross? What was before him? Scorning the cross, scorning its shame. Is it not you and I? Is it not us? That the joy that's, what didn't he have? He had everything. He had the holiness of God. He had the relationship with God. He had the glory of God. He had everything in the very Godhead himself. He didn't have you and me. He didn't have the church. He didn't have us. And so he scorned the cross. He thought nothing of the cross and entered into the race. Did it perfectly in our place. And so you and I, when we grow weary, you and I, when we want to throw in the towel, you and I, when we get tired, are able to go and look at him who didn't have to, but he ran for you. He ran in your place. And we are to fix our eyes on him. And then in verse, um, it goes on in verse four. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Look, life is hard, I know. But in your struggle against sin, have you shed your blood? Have you resisted so much that you've shed your blood? Jesus did for you. When you grow tired, when you grow weary, you have resources in this text. You have resources in the gospel of Jesus Christ to keep running, to keep after. Fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of faith. Let's pray. Father, we often find ourselves tired and weary. Sometimes we find ourselves just crabby and complaining because we wish our, our race was a different race. And you know this. Will you help us to fix our eyes on Christ? Will you help us to be reminded of who we are in you, that we might be able to have the confidence and the assurance to, to run the race well that you, cause us to, that you call us to run? And may we do so in a way that brings glory and praise to you and shines the light of Christ in a dark world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.